Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. I love being in church with you guys. I don't know if you're still happy that you're in a church with me, but I'm excited to be in a church with you guys. So thank you for being a people that are like, we want to do what God was doing. And sometimes that feels a little risky, a little scary. Anybody feel that? Because it's a moment where you're like, I believe prayer works. And I do it all the time in my house, in my prayer closet. But the moment where you're like, now pray for the person next to you, you're like, what? But that's, that's where the kingdom comes. That's where the power is. That's where Jesus, that's Jesus' life. He touched people's lives. He walked around the earth touching the broken and the sick and those that were like lost and announcing the year of the Lord's favor and the restoring of sight and all the, the things that Jesus did. You know Jesus, right? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, correct? Go and do those works. That's the Christian life that we're trying to equip you to live. And because we are wanting to equip, we really are being like, all right, Lord, how do you want to form this body? As I said last week, I believe the Holy Spirit's kind of revealed he wants to form our worship. This, this idea of, hey, we're going to sing to God has been so attacked and beaten up in the last few years in Christianity. I don't know if you know there's worship wars in Christian cultures. Anybody know that? So there's, there's, there's all this turmoil sometimes, but what we want to do is go not, all right, God, here's our two songs, take them, which sometimes can be an approach, or the other side of things, which is, God, we're just going to sing to you. We, we want to engage our minds, and we want our hearts inflamed, and we want to be intentionally aware of the person, Jesus Christ, because worship, in my opinion, uh, is gathered around a person. So you can worship, meaning you can sing songs and do the motions without the person, right? We talked about this last week. What is worship? Is worship obedience? Okay, is worship sacrifice? Is worship singing? Is worship how you live? So when we go, what is worship? And the normal response is, well, it's three songs, sermon, home, we might have missed the point. And as I've gotten ready for this week, I mean, I, I just realized pure worship's hard to find because to find it sometimes, you kind of have to clear away a lot of clutter. Now, I'm not hating on these things, but the reason that I say it's hard to find uh, is because I think we've added a lot to the worship of Jesus. I, has anyone ever been to a church where they have fog machines, phasers, lights, that are better than most universities, and like, it's a, it's a show. Now, I'm not, I can't see their heart. God can. But with us, what we're trying to do is really clear the stage and go, we just want Jesus on display. So what I did last week was, uh, if it's about heart, if it's about the heart of God's people connecting with God and giving him praise and honor and bestowing on him glory and all the, all the things that are happening in the Bible... Can worship be happening in this room right now? So there's, there's no music right now, right? Anybody hearing music right now? So what I'd like to do is just start every week this week, because I love what happened uh, in worship without any music. 
Because here's a reality that we are living in right now. You were created for God. Did you hear that? Created for him, which means he wants you to see him, to know him, to celebrate him, to rest in him, to rejoice in him, to be satisfied in him, to be exhilarated with him, to be enthralled and captivated by all that he is for you in Jesus Christ. You're like, that's a lot of enthralling and captivation. It is. But it also takes this awareness that I don't even just think that we've added a ton of Jesus. I, don't, I think there's one other element, that worship is under attack. Anybody heard of this guy named Satan? Satan? He's very real, and he hates worship. He wants to destroy it, and actually, I think he wants it for himself. And so when we gather, what we're doing is we're going, no, our hearts will worship the living God and him alone. So can you do a thing for me? Can you just begin to worship God, like give him your heart, connect with God? And you're like, where's, I need a music. You don't. So Lord, we just worship you right now. We get into before our hearts and connect with you. We've already been there this morning, but I thank you, Jesus, that you are worthy, holy, beautiful, and beyond compare. We give you worship. We give you honor. We give you all that you deserve right now. All the attention and all the songs will not even compare to what you're worth. Worship the Lord right now in your heart. If you're a saint of God, if you're a member of the body of Christ, worship him. So I asked the question last week, is worship happening in this room right now? Yeah? And this is, I think, right now, what you're feeling, what we're doing right now is what God wants to form. That every week when we come in, we're not like, what songs are we singing or how many? We're going, I want to connect with my Savior and I want to adore him. And it will take then a actual cognizant thought to go, I am going to gather around the man, Jesus Christ. Not an experience, not a song style, not a certain technique or form, but a person. That is what worship is about. It is about the person of Jesus Christ and his extreme value over all other things. So what I'd like to do is we, we talked about, all right, our end, the end of our lives, waking up in glory and heavenly just things going on. We got to see those in the book of Revelation. That is your future. Worshiping the Lord for a million years that way plus a couple more millions forever, however far forever goes. And that we get to know our final destination and it is full of singing and worshiping, and proclaiming, and adoring, and seeing the Lord. But what about the rest of the Bible? Like, what about this space right here? Is singing important? Now, once again, this topic of worship is bigger than me, and it makes me nervous to talk about, but I'm not going to talk about worship as obedience or sacrifice as much as I just want to focus in on this idea of enjoying God, and why does he care about us singing so much? Anyone ever ask that question? Why sing? Can't I just mumble? Can't I just say it? 
Why singing? We, we touched on that last week. And I thought the best way to do it was to kind of take a survey through the Old Testament into the New Testament and then try to do it, try to worship the Lord that way. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, we're going to be all over the place. We're going to start in 1 Chronicles, and then we're going to be in 2 Chronicles. So grab a Bible, open it up. We are a taught by the Word, led by the Spirit church. You encountered a little bit of the led by the Spirit there during that prayer time. This is the taught by the Word part. Actually, it all just goes together. It's the same thing. So when you look at the form, what was required by God, what did God's people do for worship in the Old Testament? How did it start? Anybody? What's the first act of worship in the Bible? How about that, Bible scholars? I looked it up, and I was like, well, you know, some people were like, well, Adam and Eve, they were walking in worship because they were holding dominion over all creation. They were serving the God. They were walking with him in the cool of the night. It wasn't in the form that we see now because sin hadn't come yet, but then sin shows up. And what I would say is the first idea of worship you see in the Old Testament is actually this idea of sacrifice and offering. And you see this kind of real clearly with Cain and Abel. Everybody know that Bible story? So no one's told them. There's no instruction in the Old Testament up to this point. All of a sudden, though, Adam and Eve's offspring, Cain and Abel, are offering things to God. One of them is a shepherd and one of them grows agriculture. Uh, Cain brings the, the bad offering. Uh, and Abel brings a lamb or a offering that is pleasing to the Lord. And you see this idea of, Lord, we believe that you are the maker and sustainer of all things, that you gave me this livestock. You gave me this agriculture. We're going to give it back to you. That's offering. That's sacrifice. This quickly becomes the normal way that even the people outside of that day made sacrifices to their God, usually their children, and it's funny then that the second act of big worship you see is actually a sacrifice or an attempted sacrifice of a child. So Abraham is told to take who and sacrifice him to God? Isaac. You're like, I didn't know I was getting a Bible trivia today. But if you walk through the Bible, that's what you'll see. There was always a sacrifice. There was always like, you gave me, so I'm going to give it to you, God. You gave me, so here's this offering. You gave me, so here's my sheep. You gave me, and over and over and over again. That is the first form of worship in the Bible. So should worship be sacrificial in some respects? Yeah. Should we make offerings unto the Lord? Yes. It switches over, though, because slowly the, the covenants start to come into place. You have a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant goes on all the way to a guy named David. Now, King David is peculiar, and people like to fight about him, but he is called a man after. So he becomes king over the nation of Israel, the, the people of God, the covenanted people of God. And you would think he would establish, okay, I'm going to do the offerings, I'm going to do the sacrifices, and they were there, but he adds a very, a very interesting thing. And so in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 1, this is King David. He's just become king. He can now organize the whole city-state the way that he wants to. And what does he do first? They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. And after David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. 
So the very first act as a king is he brings back the Ark of the Covenant, which is we're your people and you're our God. And then he begins to worship and sacrifice and do all those forms of Old Testament worship. But he does one more thing in verse four. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the Ark of the Lord to extol, thank, and praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And he begins to list Asaph was the chief. And next to him in rank were Zechariah, then Jezeel. I'm not even going to go through all these names. They were to play the lyres and the harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. So if you're like, how serious were they? They had a guy that they were like, Asaph, get them cymbals. You know what I mean? Like one guy's job was just to do this. Obviously with cymbals. The other guy's job was to blow trumpets. And Benaniah and Jaziel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. So David, the man after God's own heart, sets up as the center of what these people do. We worship God. We make a big deal. We blow trumpets. We got cymbal boy over here. We got flute guy over here. This guy's just on his little lute. I don't know what they're doing. You know what I mean? And every so often, the priests are just like, and everyone in the whole city is reminded that the worship of God is going on every Saturday, every Sunday. No, this is 24 hours a day. So the very first thing the man of God, the man after God's own heart does is he sets up worshipers. And he's like, we're not going to just like do it every once in a while. Your job description, Levite, is to worship God. That's what you're called to do. That's what you're going to do all the time. That's what my kingship's going to pay for. Can you imagine? Now, David had 288 singers and musicians whose sole job was to worship the Lord. That's their job. Now, you can kind of step into what we're doing now. You know why I like Dave Bear? That's his job. Now, he has a job description that includes a lot of other stuff, but I actually think worshiping the Lord is the most important part of his job description. Minister to God. Bless God. Honor the Lord. Blow that horn, O worshiper of the Lord, and remind us that we're supposed to do that too. They took it seriously. You see this sacrifice and offering, and then everything then centers around a tabernacle, a tent, and then ultimately what gets built instead of a tent? The temple. And it's not David who gets to bring that into existence, but David's son, Solomon. Now, a peculiar thing happens when they do this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So for, I don't know, 50 years, they worship the Lord around a tent, there's this Ark of the Covenant, which has the Ten Commandments in it, and the presence of God goes with it, and they didn't mess around with it, because if you touched it wrong, you died. They bring it back to the city, and they begin to worship God 24 hours a day. Then God puts into the heart of King David, the man after his own heart, to build a house for the Lord, a place that God will live, except he's told by the prophet, you're not going to build it, your son will. And this is what happens when they built the temple up and they've done all this work and they built it how God told them to do. Solomon, his son, prays a prayer. And when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests couldn't enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. 
When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. So for thousands of years, God had made covenant, Abraham and Isaac, into the prophets, into David. Now this kingship is being passed along, and God has promised, I'm never gonna, you're always gonna be my people. And in a moment, they build a house for God, and God dwells in the house. That's the glory of the Lord filling the house. To a point where the guy's jobs that was to worship the Lord and the guy's job, which was to sacrifice the animals, they couldn't go in and do their jobs. Why? Because the reality of God was so thick in that place, they couldn't do it. And then everyone noticing that God was there, what did they do? It says the children of the Lord, which is like the young, the old, the middle, all of them do what? They put their foreheads on the ground and they worship God. And they, say, they sing a song together, which is interesting because that's the third form that you'll see in the Old Testament. So you have sacrifice, you have offering, you have this temple complex, which is doing the sacrifices and the offering, but it's doing this, this singing. And all through the Old Testament, you have this emphasis on, praise the Lord, O Israel, Worship the God of Israel and the strength of his might. You have this common command of sing. Now, if I said that to you, half of you would be like, no, I will not. I don't like how I sound. But they seem to be like, the Lord said sing, I shall sing. And they just get after it, man. And they all sing together, and there's this singing about the greatness of God. And we talked about why that's important. But if you just survey this idea of singing, and I'm going to go fast because I'm totally going to run out of time today. In the book of Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Exodus 15:1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The book of Judges, hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Then you get into 1 Chronicles, which we just read, and all the Psalms, the Psalms, you, you know they are songs. They were sung. Most of them were written by King David sitting by that tabernacle with the Levites, worshiping God and understanding God's doing things here that he's not doing anywhere else. Praise the Lord. But it was with song. More than 170 times in the Old Testament, they are either singing to God or being commanded, and I think we are too, to sing to the Lord. That's a lot of times. But in the Hebrew understanding, and this is some of what I'd love to teach you, because I think it informs my worship. I've been pretty honest that for most of my life, my preferred worship form was this. Be as small as possible and don't show any emotion. But the closer I get to God, the more I can't, just like all of a sudden I'll just be like. And it actually has led to something that I didn't think it would happen. It actually leads me to have more joy in God, more enjoyment of his presence, more, more understanding of who he is. If God is the best thing anywhere, he is, right? And I know him. Why would I yell at a football game but wouldn't yell at the top of my lung, I love you, Jesus? So there's this disconnect sometimes in the human heart 
We will give worship to many things, but when it comes to the worship of God, we're like, keep it small, keep it secret, keep it safe. And I'm like, no, keep it big, keep it large, keep it heartfelt, but keep it way bigger than all that other stuff. And so these forms of praise, because every time in the Psalms, you know when it says praise the Lord, it doesn't actually just mean what you think, praise the Lord. They had so many words for this. I'm going to teach you a couple. Can I teach you Hebrew? You're like, please. So everybody say, hello. That's the root form of the word, hallelujah, all right? And it's the Hebrew word to be clear, to praise, to shine, to boast, to show, to rave, celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. Can you imagine if Dave Bear walked up on stage at the start of this service and was like, all right, we're going to worship God, but this is how we're going to do it. We're going to be clamorously foolish. What's that look like for you? I want you to be clamorous right now. Go. <laughs> I saw one of these. <laughs> if we all were just like, let's worship God. You know, you know, like everybody's like, no, let's not. Let's not worship God. They just had this idea that he's that good. So if I was at a party celebrating one of your birthdays, I would sing a happy birthday song and I would clap and we would shout and we would laugh and we'd be dancing. We'd be like, happy birthday to you. But when we get to the worship of God, they understood that we should make it big. We should rave about him. We should yell about him. It should be clamorously foolish. So I'll give you an example. Psalm 113, praise or that word, halal the Lord. Halal, O you servants of the Lord. Halal, the name of the Lord. That's how it would read right to the left in Hebrew. Different lesson, okay? But you have this idea of a command over and over again in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, to make a big deal about the praise of God. I can give you a ton of others, but we don't have enough time. Uh, I should probably put these notes out. There's, go to the other references, Claire. Like, you can walk through the Bible and the Psalms and the book of Jeremiah you are told over and over again to halal the Lord, to make a great big deal about him. Let's teach you another one. Everybody say, yada. <laughs> oh, I'm going to make that my ringtone on my phone. Um, it's this idea to extend the hand or to throw the hands out in worship. This is like the Christian equivalent of the wave, all right? It's not, but it, it's kind of. Uh, so ready? We're going to do it. We're going to use Ready? You just did it perfectly. And you're like, how silly do I feel? But in the Jewish idea, the hands were involved in worship. And they understood that God had put everything into their hands that they had. And if it wasn't there yet, they were still going to praise him. And so a lot of times when it says worship the Lord, it's actually not the word worship. It's the word yada. It's the word lift your hands to God because he gave everything that's in them and lift your hands to God in acknowledgement that it all comes from him anyway. This is Second Chronicles. Give thanks. Give yada to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. I will bless thee as long as I live. I will yada my hands in thy name. I'm going to lift holy hands to the Lord. Uh, and it was a normal reference for them to shout at the men of Israel, lift your hands to God. Lift your hands to God. So some of you in this room, you are like me, and I'm not actually mad at you. There's all those charts that make fun of how worshipers worship. Some of you are like the TV carrier, you know that whole thing? Some of you are like field goal for Jesus. I mean, some of you are, some of you are like, I, it doesn't matter. What, what he's saying is there's sometimes a connection, this word yada, uh, between not, because the opposite is true. 
in, in, the, in the dictionary that I was reading. The opposite of this word is like anxious hand-wringing. I'm so worried about what I don't have. Oh my gosh, is tomorrow going to work out well? But yada is the exact opposite, and it's a choice. Instead, I'm not going to wring my hands. I'm going to give all of my praise to the Lord. Another one. Uh, I'm probably saying these wrong, but toda, it's the same root word of yada, but it's used to thank God. It's used to be like honor and blessing. It's, it's less wavy and throwy and more like, I just love you, and I want to lift you up, and I bless you, and I honor you. You see it all over the Bible. Uh, I'll do a few more because we got to get going. There's a word called shabak. And that's to shout, to address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph. These are, I heard my grandpa yell it a couple times today, hallelujah. That's shouting, that's commanding, that's bless the Lord. And it's very appropriate when you're singing praise to a holy, infinite God to make it loud. You have the most common one is the word barak, which is to kneel down, to bless God as an act of adoration to salute. When you hear the words in the Old Testament, all, a lot of times when it says, come let us worship and bow down, that's actually only one word, Barak. What they're saying is, come let's worship God by doing this. It's a surrender. It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of, I am definitely lower than you and don't deserve to be in your presence. If I kneel in front of you, what does that show about you? You're like, I'm pretty on stuff. You are, which is why we don't usually kneel when we greet each other, but we do kneel to God. So if everybody in this room one Sunday comes in and we are worshiping and all of a sudden I look around and half the room's on their knees, that would be an appropriate response. To God, I barack you. There's a couple more, Zamar, which is actually connected to while instruments are being played, I am shouting praise to God. So it fits with what Dave's doing. When he's doing this, and we're singing, we are zamaring. And then tahila. Everybody say tahila. You should say that at least once in your life. You know what I mean? Tahila. Don't say it in that accent. Okay, cool. That was more of like a Hispanic Spanish accent and not a Hebrew one. So. Uh, it's the singing of halals, the singing to the Lord. It's this, uh, it, it's especially like singing with the Spirit of the Lord is the connotation in the Bible. Um, and you see this idea of sacrifice and gathering around the presence of God in the temple and then also singing throughout the entire Old Testament. But then Jesus shows up, right? And where'd all the baracking to healing going? It, it was still happening. The most common reaction to Jesus Christ showing up and healing someone, do you know what it was? I'm not worthy. That's the common, Barak is the common reaction to Jesus showing up. Or you have whole crowds yelling, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, and him who comes in the name of the Lord, throwing down palm leaves, and Jesus is scolded by the Pharisees and says, Rabbi, stop your disciples. They're worshiping you. And he goes, if they didn't do it, what would happen? The rocks would sing to me. 
So how appropriate is when we get together to do all of those things and more? Like I, I'm like, you can't make it small enough because he's that great. But I was taught for most of my life, no, keep it small and keep it reserved because it'll become about you. But I'm like, no, no, if it's about him, I can't help but be like, wow. The, un, the, old, the old Testament understanding of worship was just a little bit bigger and a little bit more hearty than ours. But Jesus shows up, and like Jesus does, he takes a principle, and he just like flips it on its head. So go to John 4, and this is where we'll end, because I have four minutes. In John 4, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And there's actually a lot of context you have to understand, but we don't have to understand it all. All you have to know is the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans wanted to serve and love God, but they were kind of outcasts. And so they had set up their own worship structures, but they couldn't go to Jerusalem. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't do all the things the Jews did because they wouldn't let them. And Jesus goes out of his way, if you read it, to find this woman at this spot to talk to her. And he has a really beautiful conversation with her ends up prophesying everything she's ever done in her life, so she says, tells her she's had five husbands, tells her that, yes, in fact, the one you're living with now is not your husband, and she's like blown away. Has a conversation about, hey, you should drink what I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you living water. But he says a profound thing about worship. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Anyone doing the reading plan? So the challenge this past week, I believe, was to memorize that verse. Memorize that verse. This is the moment, so all of the Old Testament that we just walked through, Jesus shows up for the new covenant, the new thing that God's doing, and starts proclaiming the kingdom of God, and then he says to a Samaritan woman whose Jews never would talk to, the hour is coming and is now here, because he's establishing it, that the Father, what is God the Father doing right then and right now? What does he want? Worshippers. God the Father is searching, he's seeking, he wants worshipers, people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now let's talk about spirit. So here's the thing, you don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God. You don't have to sacrifice any longer because Jesus shut it down. You don't have to cleanse yourself with all the ritual cleanings, the purity cleanings, the, the uh, Communal cleanings, you don't have to do any of it. You get to worship God now in the spirit. And when he says this to the woman, she's, it's not lost on her. She's like, I feel so far away from God and so dirty. I can't go into the temple and worship and be close to my God even if I wanted to. And you know what he just told her? Those days are over. You get to be close to me now because you get to worship in spirit, which means it's not tied to a place. So you can worship God in the spirit in your car in Kroger, do it with your shopping cart. Jesus, you know, like, get in there. So spirit is less about spiritually and more about it's not tied to a spot. I can worship God right here. 
and it's tied to the truth. And Jesus actually tells us he's the way and the life. So true worship is, this, is in view right now, that we worship God not by following the law, not by going to the temple, not by sacrifices and offerings anymore, but because I think we can apply them, but by coming to the living Lamb of God that was slain for my sin, gathering around the person of Jesus and adoring him. This is the heart of worship. And so I wonder if we can hear what Jesus is saying, and I'll I'll put it in a, a statement that we can live out here. We believe that true biblical worship happens anywhere and anytime that the mind is filled with exalted thoughts about God. The heart is inflamed with joy and love for God, and Jesus is treasured as preeminent in our souls. That's a lot of big words. It just means we want to fill our minds with exalted thoughts about God. Where do I get those? Cool. And I fill my mind with the things of God and the word of God, and I treasure them. And all of a sudden, my heart begins to love the Son of God. And all of a sudden, he really is the greatest treasure, because he is. There's nothing better. And what flows out of a heart that treasures Jesus is a lot of baracking, tehillying, yachting. And so I'm not actually asking you to change your worship style today. I'm asking you to change what your heart treasures. I want to be a church that treasures Jesus. It makes a great big deal about him. And I have seven more pages of notes that I will give next week. But what I'd love to do is enter into a time of living out some of this yachting, tehillying with one challenge. Uh, what do the Psalms, what do the rocks that Jesus talked about, what does this, this worship, they all have one thing in common. They are all verbal, they are all vocalized. And I'm not hating on you, but one of the things that I've heard so often, even when this series was coming up, was it was almost a, a pushback. I can't carry a tune. Like, anybody, can't sing good? I can't sing good. The Holsworth men are known for sounding like dying sea cows. Like, people like, go like this when we sing. It hurts, you know what I mean? Uh, and I am also, when I'm allowed to be, very introverted. And I like to hide my worship with Jesus. I like to go into a room in my house by myself and just let it out. It's just like some of you like to drive and sing your songs to God. Anybody down with that? Because you're like, this is me and Jesus. But when we gather, there's an opportunity. uh, And I'm going to, I think when we talk about the greatness of God, there's an opportunity to make his name greater and an, an, an experience in the depths of our souls, his value when we verbalize, which is why I think God's commanding us to sing. Singing ties together the mind and the heart like nothing else. Uh, this is why lovers sing. Some of you are like, I've never sang to my girlfriend. Maybe you don't love her. Um, just kidding. There's something about not just reciting our love and our theology. There's something about singing to the God of all creation that he's worthy. That do, like, there's a spiritual life in it, which is why I think God's like, you should sing this. So what I'd like to do is just end in singing. 
So Dave, you want to come up here? Charles Spurgeon, everybody know who that is? Called the Prince of Preachers. Big barrel-chested man. But he said, no chorus is too loud, no orchestra too large, no psalm too lofty for the lauding of the Lord of hosts. So what is he getting at? There's no like, act of worship that's bigger or too big that fits who he is. Can you put yourself in that mindset right now? And I'm just going to bless you with freedom. Give a loud tequila to the Lord today. Give, get some yachting. It doesn't matter about the posture. It matters about the heart. But I, don't, I think God wants to bring a freedom to our worship here that has never existed. And I'm 100% sure that Satan has attacked it so many times over. We're just used to it being in a weakened form. But God wants the pure worship to arise here. So, Father, we just give you our attention. And really, today was about you healing people and us praying for each other more than it was about a long sermon. But I pray your word that we read would, would do what it was supposed to do. That we have filled our minds with, praise the Lord. Kneel before the Lord your maker with loud shouts, with the playing of instruments. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. And I pray, God, that those things, that you would teach us how to be worshipers in spirit and in truth. You said it had to be spirit and truth and that the Father wants worshipers. So we worship you now. I pray right in the middle of this worship, Father, that freedom would come. So as we start to worship, I've made a deal with the kids' ministry workers that I won't go long. So if you're a parent, can you go grab your kids and bring them back and let's worship God together. After this first song, the prayer teams are going to come out and we're just going to go right back to what we were doing, which is worshiping, listening to the Lord, praying for one another. If you're here and you didn't come up for prayer for any of those things we listed, come get prayer. Let's Take the restriction off your worship right now. Give God your full heart, your full voice, your full body, and let's worship him now in spirit and truth. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.